today, which it comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 22. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 22. And if you've been with us, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. And from last week, Jesus gave this lesson about how if anyone wants to belong to the kingdom of God, right, the most um, important space that we want to be belong to, um, spiritually, physically, everything, it's heaven. If you want to belong to that, Jesus says, you got to become like kids. You got to be like children. You got to be desperate for him. You got to be needy, help, uh, helpless. And you know, as we listen to that, it's kind of hard for us to relate because a lot of our, our lives, um, we've grown up. Uh, I mean, growing up is becoming an adult, becoming self-sufficient, becoming independent with ourselves. And Jesus says, no, true spiritual maturity is becoming more and more like a kid. And so now we turn to a passage where that, that um, we turn to a passage where we meet a rich young man, rich young ruler, and how this really applies to him. And so let's keep this, consider this in mind as we uh, read God's word, uh, as I read God's word to you. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 22. And if you're able, can you please stand or rise with me for the reading of God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give him our full attention today. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And as you take your seats, can you join me in a quick word of prayer here? Lord, as we come before you, this idea of eternal life seems so out there, so beyond us, that it does seems to have no practical um, implications for us here and now. But Lord, you're a God who creates reality and also sustains it. And so we ask that as we draw near to you, would the meditation of our thoughts and our hearts be pleasing to you? Would you help us to understand what this eternal life means for us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this man named Ezekiel Emmanuel, and um, he's a doctor by trade, but also a medical ethicist. And he wrote this one article in The Atlantic entitled, Why I Hope to Die at 75. 
not exactly bathroom reading material here. But he argues in this article that the ideal age to die is 75, because by then you'll have all the experiences、uh, you can possibly have. Your body will be still capable of certain things. But once you pass 75, he says it isn't worth it. Life isn't worth it past 75, because according to him, if you live too long in a diminished state, it raises the question whether. Our consumption is worth our contribution. Whether our consumption is worth our contribution. He sounds fun. I mean, whether you agree with him or not, it's interesting. It's an interesting question that he brings up, because the idea behind his article also brings up for us is, what then does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to live a good life? If seventy-five is the ideal age, let's just go one deeper. What does it really mean to have a good life? That's all we want to think about today, guys. No points. You know I'm a three points guy, but no points today. Just one shot today. We're just thinking about this one thing. What does it mean to have a good life? See, in comes this rich young man. And if you looked at the Gospel of Luke in chapter eighteen, eighteen, it says that he's actually a ruler. So he's not just young; he's not just rich. He is a ruler. So here is this rich young ruler. He's got everything we could possibly wish for, everything that most of us actually work towards to be rich. But he's also young, right? He's at the prime of his life to be able to enjoy everything that he has. And the fact that he is a ruler means he's also powerful, which means he's not just a trust fund baby. He's got influence. People respect him; they look up to him. He's a respectable man. And yet, here is this rich young ruler who runs and kneels before Jesus. I'm willing to bet he's never knelt in his entire life. And yet, here is this rich young ruler who kneels before Jesus. The thing is, grown men—they don't run, because back then, traditionally, the clothing were tunics, and if you had to run, you had to、uh, hoist up the the bottoms of the tunic, and you'd expose your legs as you're running. So, grown men didn't run because they don't expose themselves that way. Children ran, and yet here is this man acting like a child, respectable. Rich young ruler simply has this to say: "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life?" My question is: Why does he care? Why does he even care? Do you see Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg at our doors saying, "Oh, I must sit in at New Life Fremont because I need eternal life"? I don't see any of them doing that. They have everything they need, and yet this man asks, "Where can I get this eternal life? Why does it matter? Do any of us want this eternal life? Do any of us want this?" Bernard Williams, he is this English philosopher who、um, thought that immortality was the most undesirable thing possible. 
And his reasoning being that eventually, when you have immortality, you end up doing everything that your heart desires. You possess all the skills that you could possibly want to develop, whether it's cooking or learning instruments. You can take all the trips that you want to take and all the people that you want to meet, you can meet. And eventually, it will get old. In other words, according to Bernard Williams, eternal life is boring at best. So I gotta ask, do we want eternal life? Or maybe to ask the question more concretely, what do you want out of your future? What do you really want out of your future? You know, a couple Sundays ago, we were having lunch with um, church people and um, we're all just hanging out and they, we started talking about age and midlife crises. And so we played this game of figuring out how old each of us are um, because that's fun conversation for everyone. And uh, we're all pronouncing our age and, you know, it was kind of like everyone would gasp, oh, I can't believe you're that old. And then, and then like the oldest person of the group, he or she told us how old he or she was. And then we're all just gasping, oh my goodness, you could be our father or mother. And then we talked about, uh, we talked about what is the ideal age in life? You know, what is the most ideal age if you can do it over? And the older statesman said, 30s. Because that's when you know, that's when you know the most, you know everything, and you still have the energy to do things. Makes sense. Makes sense. But no matter what age, the thing is, I really think we don't really know what we want out of our futures. No matter what age we can live again, we truly don't know what we want out of our futures. Because think about it, what we think we want out of the future are just romanticized versions of our past. You can't know what you don't know, so the only things you do know are the things in the past in your life. And so the things we want out of the future are just romanticized versions of our, of our past. Eternal life goes beyond what we actually know. It goes beyond what we actually know. This rich young ruler, he had it all. But something is missing. Something's missing in his life. Good teacher, how can I have in their eternal life? Here lies the problem. Life is not something that is earned. It is given to be received. Life is given to be received. Nothing this guy had was enough for him. Sound familiar? This is the human dilemma. That the things that we actually need in this life start becoming the very things that we start to take for granted. But life, but when life is received as a gift... It's hard to take for granted. It really is. When life is received as a gift, it's hard to take for granted. You know, this is one Christmas where um, Miles, he was in this Mario phase, and he really liked all the characters of Mario. And so my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they gifted him this remote-controlled car of Mario Kart. And when Miles opened his gift, he just flipped out. He just started jumping on his toes. And he said, it's Mario Kart. It's Mario Kart. And he does the whole like finger clapping things, to, uh, finger clapping together. And automatically, he gives his auntie and his uncle a hug. And he says, thank you so much for this gift. Thank you so much. And there was my father-in-law's turn. 
He's in his 70s. And they, he opens up his gifts, and it's this golf club that he's been wanting for a really long time. And his reaction is, oh, thank you. And he hugs everyone and says, thank you for the golf club. Thank you, everyone. And I treasure this moment because it reminds me that this childlike joy and wonder doesn't have to stop when you grow older. It can stay with you as long as you want it because it's all about a mindset. What is your heart actually set on? It's the difference of having abundance and feeling like it's never enough or having a little with the feeling of abundance. All life is either a gift to receive or something that you've earned. And perhaps maybe what the rich young ruler is looking for, just looking for, for the first time maybe in his life, is just a little gratitude, just a little bit. Jesus answers this man's question with another question, and he simply says this, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's like he wasn't listening to the man. Jesus, I'm asking for eternal life, not parsing semantics about what the word good means. You're missing the point. Or maybe better yet, Jesus is getting to the point. From what we can tell about this rich young ruler is that he is not a bad rich guy. He doesn't abuse what he has. He doesn't abuse his privilege. He's actually, he doesn't look, he doesn't chin on his wife. He doesn't cook the books on his taxes. He doesn't slander anyone. He doesn't defraud. He uh, doesn't defraud and rip people off while he gets richer. He still calls his mom and dad, honors his mother and father, and doesn't use work as an excuse for why he hasn't called. Here's a good man. Only someone with a good conscience can confidently say what he says in verse 20. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. He's a good guy. He's not just rich, but he's actually a good moral person. The wealth hasn't gotten to his head. He's not superficial. His character still matters to him. And yet, he's got everything. And yet Jesus says, yet one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Who can blame him? Who can blame his reactions? If God told you to empty out your 401ks to go feed the homeless, you would have the same reaction. It'd be hard to be joyful about it. And yet, what's the real issue here? Notice the command that Jesus gives is not from the Ten Commandments itself. It's good for us to be charitable. God gives us, God, uh, uh, God, it's good for us to give to those who need it. In other words, in other places, scripture like Mark chapter 14 verse 7 says that the poor you will always have with you. You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Which is interesting. It means that going to the poor, giving to the poor, isn't like the other commands where you have to always keep. While something like giving to the poor, being charitable, is a command we're called to nurture, just like joy and gratitude. 
It's hard for me to imagine that this guy wasn't generous based on his character. I'm pretty sure he was a generous guy, right? Just based on his moral character here. So why does Jesus tell this to him? Why does Jesus say what he says to him? Because the very thing he lacked is the very thing he wasn't asking for. He asked to inherit eternal life. And in the Old Testament, inheritance had to do with land. Particularly uh, Israel, when they reached the promised land of Canaan, each tribe, they inherited a portion of land. So maybe his thinking is real estate in the kingdom of God. right? I need my stake in the kingdom of God. Can you give this to me? And yet, uh, the greater, yet the greater theme of inheritance is ultimately about permanence, security, and comfort. It's about the fact the Lord is my portion. And this is what Jesus is after. Am I your portion or not? That's the point that Jesus is making. Because what good is a good life if you cannot have a good God that works all things for the good of your salvation? The rich young ruler is only saddened because he was only able to look at the loss without looking at the gain. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to get at. He looked more at the loss than what it was to be gained. You guys heard about this um, soccer player named Megan Rapinoe? She's a U.S. women's soccer player. I heard she's really good. I don't know too much about it. But this uh, soccer star, she was playing in the National Women's Soccer League final. I'm sure every person's dream there. All her accomplishment coming to close. And just three minutes into the game, she tears her Achilles heel. And she's not just out for the game, but it's a career-ending injury when you think about it. In the press conference, they ask her about it, and they ask, oh, how are you doing? What are your thoughts about this? And here's one of the things that she says. She says this, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like this is proof that there isn't, because this is messed up. This is messed up. People were outraged by her remarks. But let me ask, will we be any different? Can we truly believe that we would be any different? Will we not all be this sorrowful, disheartened? You and I, we all have versions of what a good life is. If God were to ever tamper with that, who knows what our response could be. Maybe an unexpected financial crisis. Maybe the medical diagnosis you didn't expect. Maybe a relationship that blew up on you or a relationship that didn't, uh, that didn't happen. Plenty of circumstances for ruin. But that's when we need to pause and at least consider why would a God who creates life want to ruin the very thing that he's created? Why would a God who creates life want to ruin the very thing that he's created? God is not in the business of ruining. He is in the business of resurrection. Taking you away from what you already know to open up your mind and soul to something more. The only way you can trust him 
is if you can notice something that he says, that, that verse 21 says, that as Jesus told uh, that as Jesus told the rich young ruler the bad news, look in the fashion that he does it in, that as Jesus hits this man with where it hurts, he says, looking at him, he loved him. He says this out of love. The hard conversation is done out of love. Do you believe this about your God? That every trial, everything that happens in your life, he looks at you intently with love. My daughter, she saw snow for the first time last year. She's only seen snow through books that we've been reading and the many times we watched the movie Frozen, and so she's always wondered what it must be like to be in snow. So we decided last year uh, to go up to the mountains to see it, and the thing is, driving up to the mountain, it was, you know, the, the roads were very icy, and so it was really hard for me to turn and all that. So it took a really long time. So the kids started getting antsy in the car. Um, they started start off by just asking, are we there yet? You know, and then it turned into, I don't want to go anymore. I'm hungry. This is, uh, why are we going at all to begin with? I just want to go back home. And I was very tempted to drop them off right then and there as they were uh, arguing with me. But then finally, they took a nap, glorious nap. And we, we finally made it to the top and they woke up and they were surrounded by all this snow. They rushed out, jumped into the snow and, you know, they're expecting this fine powdery snow and they jump in, but it's actually really hard and, uh, uh, hard and like they just all face plant, but they thought it's the best thing ever. It's snow. And, um, they're having so much joy making, uh, little snowmen, making little snow angels, throwing snowballs at each other's face. And they said, this is the best day ever. Thank you, Appa. I thought I was going to lose it. This is the best thing ever. I, I think about us. Like God is trying to take us to eternal life, right? New heavens and new earth. And the whole time we're thinking, no, I just want to stay here as it is. I, I work too hard on my retirement. I work too hard on my future. I don't want to go. When Jesus wants to actually show us something better, he doesn't want us to just settle. How can we know this for sure? Because God chose to make you his actual inheritance. He gave up what was most precious to him. He gave up Jesus, his only son, to gain you. Jesus gave up the good life by being cursed on a cross for our sins. Also that by faith in him, you may truly know that you have the good life. Because a good life is simply a God who invests his whole self into you, who promises to always be good to you, not because, not because of fortunes are changed, but because you are the fortunate one enough to belong to a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. What is eternal life? Than to be awakened to the love of God in Christ. The question is not what must I do to inherit, but what will you do with eternal life? What will you do knowing that this is the God who backs you? who makes you his treasure. I'm going to end it right there. Uh, let me pray for us.
Lord, it's just too easy to take things for granted. And literally, maybe as a holiday, we do need something like Thanksgiving as a way to just stop us and just take a look around in our lives to look at the things that you have given. Lord, we thank you that you give us something that we never really asked for in the first place. And yet you're too good to us to let us just settle for much less. Jesus, as you have made us your inheritance, teach us what it means to treasure the lives that you have given to us, to live in gratitude and thankfulness for what the cross is all about, even as we demonstrate, even as we respond to it, even now. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. May our lives respond accordingly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, we're